Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will repeat myself. This is probably the only time in the podcast I'll repeat myself, but Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. But more importantly, we're very good friends. Right, Ben? Affirmative. Right, Ben? Affirmative. Oh, no. I, I, I repeated myself again. Oh, goodness. You got me we doing should, it, too, we now. Should, We're both we repeating. <laughs> we should edit the intro now. Oh, goodness. You know, I don't um, know. you know I don't know how to edit. Neither do I. Ben, where can people find your work? You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, at Hagerty, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at driving.ca, autotrader.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and Car and Driver. Ben, we've got some cars to talk about this week. Again. Um, yeah, just like last week, and I think it's the week before It's relentless. <laughs> um, whenever we do deliver a podcast episode, it's generally about cars, right? Most of the time, 99%. Uh, we did try to do a thing where we talked about cars and movies, and it was <laughs> the least well-received podcast we've ever done. It was the um, most death threats I've ever received. Uh, the most, yeah. Um, there's usually like a, a, a background level of those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have a baseline. But this rose well above that. I know. It's too bad because I really enjoyed not driving cars for a week and watching a, a TV show or a movie. What I, what I learned is that, See, that, was good. Is that <laughs> doing things that are fun is not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> the internet is like, no, <laughs> sorry, sorry, bro. No. Go and drive a new crossover and tell us how it is. <laughs> drive a Corolla Cross, please. No, we shouldn't complain about that. We, I mean, I love driving these cars. And we've got a cool one to talk about this week. I've got the, um, it's an updated or a new Mercedes-Benz GLC. It's a 2023 model. Um, and they've made a number of really cool strides here. And I want to reiterate that in the past, I have been a tiny bit um, skeptical of Mercedes-Benz's like delivery of luxury. I think that they Well, wait a minute. That's a really loaded phrase. Like what does that mean to you? First of all, what does skeptical mean? And second, what does delivery Delivery of luxury feels like something I would read in like a Rolls-Royce pamphlet. And that yeah, Rolls-Royce pamphlet would be made of like lambskin and and like paper from the 16th century. Well, you want the car to be a del- basically the car is a receptacle of luxury, right? <laughs> You just pour the luxury in, and it assumes the shape of the car. I get That's it. That's right. All right. So you get it. Okay. It's like no, smelting my, my, luxury. It's like <laughs> like you have a big furnace, and you pour the luxury in, and you melt it, and you make... All right, okay. I'm, 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 I'm done belaboring this metaphor. I think there was a generation... Basically, for me, um, I think there was a generation of Mercedes-Benz products that were just not hitting the benchmark for what I thought was a luxury car. And I know a lot of people will probably say, oh, you're looking at the entry-level products, specifically the G, uh, sorry, the GL, I think it was a GLK back when it came out, uh, GLC, the latest uh, generation of, uh, of, sorry, the original generation, the CLA and the GLA, which to me were super um, watered-down products. Now, I always, I, was, liked the, I always liked the GLK, though. I think I thought the GLK was cool. It was like a wagon that was like a, you know, a fake, a fake wagon. Like, they, they snuck a wagon in and called it an SUV. It was just basically like the, the, the Infinity EX. It was like a tall riding wagon. I don't it, want to disagree with you based on the body style. I thought that was a real... And the exterior design was actually kind of neat. It was a bit more... Uh, I don't know, like... 
angu- hard, angular. Yeah, hard. They had hard edges back then. But the interiors to me were not quite there. Uh, powertrains were not quite. Uh, I mean, they were good, but nothing great. And as a result, I start. I started to feel like um, a, a Mercedes was was falling in a in a bit of a trap. But I think they used to rely on their higher. Um, qual- their higher end products like the S Class, obviously, and the uh, bigger SUVs to pull them out of that rut and let people, you know, understand that real luxury at Mercedes is in the form of these six-digit um, vehicles. And I don't think it's fair. It's interesting that you mentioned that though, because it is possible to look at a company like Mercedes as one that has become more of a. I hesitate to use the word full line automaker, mm-hmm. but definitely if you go back to the 2000s and you look yeah. at the Mercedes lineup and then you look at the Mercedes lineup today, it is significantly more broad. Yeah. And, and like I said, I mean, and, I, and they also made a pickup truck in Europe. Let's, let's not, let's not ignore that. The they X, don't, I don't know if they make the pickup, the X class, which was like a redesigned Nissan, Nissan Navara, I yeah. think, or a Renault, I think. Um, no, it was, it was a Nissan. I think, I think the, there's a Renault version of that truck. Okay. That's what I mean. It's just it's, like to me. I'm. I'm. Remember when they trade when they shared platforms with Infinity with the Q30? I one thousand percent forgot about that until now. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I don't think I've ever week. seen a QX30 in real life. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That's what I'm trying to get at. Is that like there's this era of Mercedes that was just not. Just not hitting it, right? Like, just not as if they had a quota to move yeah, product. But that's what it is. It's volume Mercedes versus over engineered Mercedes. And we saw the death of over engineered Mercedes in the 90s. I and then we saw them transi- try to transition away from that towards volume in the 2000s and the early teens. And they've kind of found their footing now. But I think that part of their volume strategy has been this massive expansion of what Mercedes Benz actually is. And unfortunately, when you expand to that degree, you're going to be expanding in a direction that moves away from what your market position originally was. Right, right. So all of this is to say that um, when I got into the, into the new GLC, I was already kind of like I had an impression that this was just going to be um, a, a C-class that has been just bigified, right? Or emblobbed. Um, emblobbed, exactly. Because the GLC and- has kind of a, an anonymous kind of shape. Like shape profile for yeah, sure. Like the GLE is a little yeah. less anonymous, but the GLC, I, I find it. I, I look at it and I'm like, okay, I don't really see the identity here. It's not. It's mm-hmm. not like it's bad or anything. It's just that mm-hmm. it doesn't really scream Mercedes Benz at me. And that's a that's a huge problem because if you'll recall, their first entry in the segment, which is the GLK, had a ton of personality with that angular. To me, you know, we keep hearing these reports about them bringing back. Or bring a mini G G class or G wagon, and I'm like, they had one. It was yeah. the G, it was the GLK. It was they definitely the- took styling cues from the G class for that vehicle, no question. And then they just ran away with it. They're like, yeah, we're we're gone. We're done with this. See ya. Like, well, the G the G class is is kind of in a weird spot now. I mean, it's it's like it's not the same icon it used to be because they modernized everything, mm-hmm. but they're kind of pretending that it is. And I don't know, does it still have the same cachet? Do you think? I think it. I think it has presence, right? Like I don't think it matters what it's capable of and how luxurious it is. It has presence. The moment you see it, you know that that's you know something different, special. You know that maybe you've like bold. stumbled onto the set of a, yeah. a a crime movie set in Eastern Europe, 
and that maybe some dudes with some heavy dudes are going to get out of that get out of that G class and give you a once over. Um, but you know, speaking about Mercedes Benz styling, we've been pretty hard on them about the EQS and the EQE as as vehicles. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, the S class is such an icon, and then they attempted to make an electric version of the S class. I mean, conceptually, not an electrified X-Class, exactly. And it came out so bland and so uninspired and so non-Mercedes. Like, I'm fearful that 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 type of design language is going to find its way through the rest of the lineup. Do you think that's what's happened with the GLC? The GLC is not um, a super standout vehicle in terms of exterior design. They've refined, you know, taillights and headlights and grills, and they've kind of given it this kind of, like, turtle profile turtle profile that's what everyone wants they're like (laughs) i'm in the turtle i'm in the turtle parked out front i mean i of all of the animals to pick for an automobile the turtle is probably last on the list but that's what makes it stand out right i like turtles i mean but from from like a styling perspective they're just above snails when it comes to like (laughs) animal shapes you want to mimic and steal in the automotive industry yes specifically i mean we've Um, had bionic cheetahs but no one's created like a cyborg cyborg turtle yet i think they will i don't think i think it's a matter of time definitely and for now the glc is the closest absolutely um i think the design is probably the weakest part one of the weaker parts of the vehicle it's it's fine look the competitive the competition is the x3 the uh the q sorry the x3 from bmw the audi q5 um genesis i genesis q what is it called? GV70. GV, GV70. And um, I would go as far to mention the Lexus NX, which Ooh. I think is a very attractive looking vehicle. Ooh, okay. No? I mean, to me, Lexus is like, that Lexus is like class below. I don't know. I think Lexus hits it because of how versatile their their offerings are. Now, Mercedes only well when they when they first announced this vehicle earlier this year they only announced it as a the glc 300 variant um and as far as i can tell on the website um to you know outfit a a a glc when you go to build one you only get the option to make a 300 um glc 300 or glc 300 with all-wheel drive and that's a turbo four right yeah, it is a turbo four with 255 horsepower and way more torque than it used to, 295 pound-feet of torque. But I mention that because there's no plug-in hybrid. There's no um, um, AMG. I think there is an AMG coming, but um, so far you've just got these models um, for now. And I, I, I just like to mention that because the com- competition has some versatility in their product line, specifically with powertrains. I think you can get a, a couple of different versions of X3 and X4. You can get a couple of versions of the Q5, the Lexus for sure. Um, GV70 has two powertrains, which vary dramatically in terms – actually, three powertrains if you want to include the EV version of it. Which, I, which I'm actually driving right now. And I think it's important to talk that – you know, you want to cover this is a, this is a pretty broad demographic. This the buyer of a GLC can can be anybody, I think. Um, and you want to cover all sorts of bases with what you've got. And when you have just this one powertrain um, and, and line, it's difficult to do so. Now, I will admit though the, that two hundred uh, sorry that two hundred fifty five horsepower four cylinder feels really good. Um, they've really nailed the delivery of, of performance with that um, vehicle. I would say the delivery of luxury with the drivetrain is spot on. Like, okay, um, so this is your one area where they poured it right. 
I think so. And there's actually a few, a few more areas where they did it right as well. Um, transmission was was also really um, um, in line with how I was driving. I never felt like I had to wait for it to do anything. Is it a nine uh, speed? Uh, let me double check. I believe it is a nine speed. But you never know. They might have slipped an extra gear in there. Or every pulled once one in a away while. because you didn't deserve it. It is a nine speed auto. And you've got power paddle shifters on it as well. And. Um, it's got a couple of different drive modes. I, I didn't need to switch through them. I tried them out a couple of times, but uh, I use, found the comfort is there, one. Is there a deep conditions mode? There isn't a deep conditions mode, which I think is a Lincoln thing. It is, but I wanted to see if like maybe Mercedes was... Because is there like anything like an off-road mode for it? Uh, all I saw was a hill descent control. <laughs> Does that count as off-roading? Have you ever used hill descent control ever? I only in, in, in your, press, your normal driving. No, absolutely. Only in my press release. Uh, I would press love drive, to right? hear if anyone, if any of our listeners has ever used hill descent control. I mean, I'd yeah. like to hear if you've used it once, but if you regularly use it, I'd be very curious because I, again, I have a theory that most people who off-road do it because they enjoy the driving part and they're not mm. looking to farm that out to other features to do it for them. So I would like, I, I, I you know, maybe if you're, um, on a boat ramp or something like that. If it works in reverse, I could see it being useful. But anyway, that's kind of something. I get you. There. No, this didn't really have a, a super off-road mode or anything like that. Doesn't have the ground clearance or those like. Remember they they have some models in the GLE and GLS no, don't, don't lineup tell me that can. Talk. I know what you're going to say. That can like airlift themselves out and like. Like bounce up and down? Bounce up and down. Yeah. They, we don't have that feature yet. That's obviously reserved for people with deeper pockets, not GLC buyers. Sorry. Yeah, you got to have bounce money to do that. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I really wish we had bounce money, honestly. I'm comfortable without it. <laughs> I'm good. I don't, I don't want to live that lifestyle. Um, one of the major aspects of this powertrain that makes it so smooth and, uh, and to me, really accommodating for the drive is that it uses a, an actually a really decent mild hybrid system. Now, a lot of people will discuss mild hybrid systems and say, oh, it has like this electric motor that kind of like, it helps out. Like that's, like that's the way it's kind of described here and there. It's not, it doesn't totally power the vehicle, um, but it helps augment and, uh, and supplement the, the powertrain with more power. Uh, 23 horsepower and 148 pound-feet of torque, which I think goes a long way in letting those gear changes feel really smooth. But when, um, is it, when does it come on? Like, is, isn't it just available initially? Like, how often does that system No, it's not, it's not used in the, initial, in the initial element there. So to me, it's, it's felt... Um, yes, at the stoplight, but other areas when there's a little gap in power, like I said, when there's a, there's a gear change. So I do think that this goes a long way. The only problem I have is occasionally um, start-stop will keep the vehicle off a second longer than you need it to be, which to me is a pretty big issue. Especially um, since you're racing, you don't ex- especially since you're racing for pinks. That's right. If and you do not want that leg, that leg at all. No. Um, but I think for the the really, you know, if you're a more leisurely driver, that will work okay with you. Um, but if you're if you're caught in the city with a lot of like stoplights, um, like I am, it is a pain in the butt sometimes, and you just want to get going a little bit sooner. Um, other elements about this vehicle that I do like is the trim, beautiful trim on the inside. Um, and the seats were really nice and comfortable. I really felt that the cabin, to me, spoke and 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 whispered the words Mercedes um, in a very elegant way. 
this is a huge departure from what I think the last generation and early GLKs were like, which had a lot of kind of harder plastics, uh, black plastics, uh, or black materials that really felt um, anonymous, not very, you know, elegantly styled, which I think Mercedes is really trying to emphasize that their design studio or the design team is is high end. And I don't think that I, I think they're getting there. I think the GLC is exhibiting some of these um, aspects and I think it felt really good, good to drive and uh, and and sit in. Now, what did this co- have, what does this cost you? What does this car cost me? It yes. costs a pretty penny, obviously. Um, all-wheel drive versions of the car start just under fifty thousand dollars, with a couple of packages here and there. That's U.S. Here, dollars. Yeah, uh, a couple of packages here and there, including the digital headlights and head-up display. You're talking maybe fifty-five, fifty-six thousand dollars. Okay. Um, one of the things that really bothered me about my particular model is that it didn't have um, standard adaptive cruise control. Ooh. Which I'm really turned off about. Yeah. and, um, I, and That is vehicle, a $1,700 gonna... package. What, what else comes in that package? Um, bl- uh, blind spot monitoring, uh, adaptive cruise control. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. So blind spot monitoring, also not standard. Active equipment. blind spot monitoring. What is which that? I guess... <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Is there, Don't what, you know the difference between active passive, and passive? What is passive blind spot monitoring? It's like if you happen to look over at the sensor, it turns it on. Will, it will <laughs> stop you physically from changing lanes into somebody if oh, they're there. Oh, okay. Apparently. I understand. That's Which what sounds I want. like something that will break and ruin your life. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's exactly any kind of like unwanted intrusion into the driving experience is I want to pay more for that. Um, no, you can get just adaptive cruise control for 600 bucks, but there's a, a whole package of all these other things. This is insane to me because to me, um, we've got entry level vehicles in Toyota or Volkswagen lineups that are giving this stuff as, as standard equipment from you the get go. Right? I don't, can you get adaptive as like an entry level feature? I mean, I know you can get it in many entry level cars, but like base models, I don't think it's, I don't think it's I there. think, I think so. Well, I I'm going to, I'm going to talk about a base model vehicle very soon that did not have okay. it. So Okay, that, okay, that's why it's fresh in my mind. Um, so that really disappointed me. It also has this massive touchscreen. Um, we have massive touchscreens all over the industry. I think we need to. We need to. We, we need to. You know, take it down a notch every no, once in a while. Next, when it's going to talking... be the center console. It's going to be a touchscreen. Like you can't rest your arm on it because if you do, <laughs> you open the trunk. And you turn on every seat heater. And it's just going to be completely absurd. The steering wheel. So there used to be this feature <laughs> called, um, I think it was yeah. called like the squeeze blow or something. Twist and don't, blow. Don't please. We have a, it's a family podcast. Please don't talk about the squeeze blow. It was a, a steering wheel that they, they, they did some research and they're like, you know, it takes a while for that person to lift their hand off the steering wheel and hit the horn. Yeah. So what if we just made it so if you squeeze the steering wheel, the horn went off. So they mm-hmm. built a bunch of these cars and it was like, I believe, a third party manufacturer and it was licensed to a number of automakers in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And it did work. I can't remember. It was something blow. I don't know. Twist blow, squeeze blow. But the problem that they didn't think about was that over time, like the steering wheels would dry out. The plastic yeah. would dry out and it, and would, it, would... it would squeeze the wheel and the horn would be on all the time. <laughs> and there was no way to stop it. And yeah. so, like, the feature only lasted a couple of years. But why I'm bringing this up is because I see, like, in an idiocracy kind of universe where we get, like, a steering wheel that is itself also a touchscreen. And, like, yeah. when your hands are at 10 and 2, you can access these features. And then at 9 and 3, you get these other features. And then at, like, 6 o'clock, there's, like, a feature down there that you can get. And yeah. that's the kind of, like, 
thinking I think a lot of designers are are edging towards. Just like a constant touchscreen environment. I know they would love it if the entire windshield was a display that they could put mm-hmm. stuff on. And I really hope we get some regulation that makes that impossible. Uh, <laughs> you think you think regulation will come and help you with this? It's the only thing because self-restraint is not going to do it. I mean, we've already <laughs> seen some cars that have head-up displays that conservatively take up like 50% of the area over the hood. I'm not exaggerating. Them. They are that wide. I so, love them we're very small steps away from an internal projection screen onto the windshield. But okay, this is an 11.9 inch touchscreen, uh, vertically, vertically oriented, which is, um, which is okay. My big issue is responsiveness does not match the, the gorgeousness or the high resolution aspect of the, of the screen. Well, you're not, I meant, want to, to, you're not meant to interact with it. You're just meant to admire oh, it. Yeah. So like, what it feels like every time it feels I hear, like they were like, it, it's just like a TV. It's just like a smart TV. Just enjoy enjoy it. your content. I got an email from Polestar <laughs> yesterday. You love, you love <laughs> ripping on the poor Polestar add on. No, they sent me this thing and I don't know if I forwarded this to you. Yes, but, you did. Uh, okay. You didn't respond. Which is probably no. Oh, I didn't know probably wise <laughs> but they're like hey everybody amazon prime video is now an app you can have on your prime on your polestar center co- center screen and they showed like some tv show being played on the center 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 stack and i'm like why why do i want this i don't want this no one wants this because um, you're gonna be at the charging station waiting for your uh, electrify america true. that is waiting really for your depressing. electrify america to get up to 150 kilowatts oh my goodness you're so right that is exactly why that exists and you're just gonna be like guess i'll just waste all my data and bandwidth man okay all right i gotta take it back then because it's like preparing me for a disappointing world um <laughs> the other thing i think of whenever someone says like 11.9 inches for a touchscreen, i always yeah. think like oh they were too cheap to make it 12 inches like that's you <laughs> Every time, <laughs> you know, if they, I understand that if they made the the screen just that point one of an inch to be a round number, obviously, maybe twelve is is like it's just uh, it's like a superstition within Mercedes Benz or these automakers. It says twelve is, is a bad number. <laughs> I gotta worry about that now. Well, this building doesn't have a thirteenth floor or a twelfth floor. Like, can you yeah. imagine? <laughs> no, Mercedes headquarters, no twelve, nothing. Nothing. Um, they'd have to make the whole build, the whole car, point uh, one of an inch wider, and they don't know how to. They can't do that. That's why Porsche they don't have made the tooling. That's why Porsche made the nine eleven because the nine twelve. They were like, <laughs> they did make a nine twelve. I know, and it was a cow. failure, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until there was a whole spiel where they were trying to sell a bajillion of them real quickly, yeah. uh, or for a lot of money. Don't you remember that? A bunch of people found like. The resale value of the 912 is pretty high now. I think a lot of people convert them to to six cylinder spec. What would you call that? 912. 912 outlaw. I don't know. 911.5. Like 911.9. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we're getting off. To, we're, we're getting off topic. I don't know. Man. I, I if they're going to this... make these ridiculous measurements, I'm going to talk about it. Okay, good. All I want to say is that this infotainment screen was awful. It was really not one of my favorite aspects of the car. And it was the one thing that makes that makes me hesitate to recommend the Mercedes. Even using Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, I had really significant issues with my Android Auto, which would suddenly make the screen completely um, non-responsive. Then restart the Android Auto. Really not a good time when you're driving around or trying to get, go somewhere. Um, and just... Occasionally, it didn't even connect via via uh, cable or wireless Android Auto, and I was really just 
I was out of it. I like that really soured the whole experience. So, and, and that's the risk I think that you take when you um, combine so many features onto the touchscreen. Like if you're mm-hmm. going to make the touchscreen the focal point for all interaction with the vehicle, it had better be good. It had better be amazing. Otherwise, you you ruin so many aspects of the car because it's not like you can just ignore it, right? Like, you know, I, I have an older car that has an older infotainment screen and it doesn't, it's not a touchscreen. You have to use buttons. And sometimes it's annoying if you're like trying to, like when I used to use the navigation, you know, I had to spell out the address and stuff. Yep. That was kind of annoying to use like a dial and buttons. But the thing is, it was, you know what's more annoying? <laughs> Nothing working. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Like that was one feature of it, right? There were other, the other features worked okay. But on a touchscreen, if, if the entire interface is bad, then you have no choice. I mean, any, anytime you access the climate, anytime you access your music, anytime you try to use Android Auto, you're going to run into this problem. And and I feel like there's so much focus on how, how these screens look and not really much thought into how human beings actually interact with them. If you can't pull off the... There, there's a technical term, and I can't remember what it is, um, and it's been around for 40 years now, where uh, interface designers and computer designers, there's a an amount, there's a certain like a speed at which an, an interface has to respond to a human okay. being. Yeah. And if you go beyond that, people start to get distracted and annoyed. And you have to stay within this window. Um, and screens that can't do that, they risk the fact of people just like having the experience that you did, but having it over the full course of ownership, which will turn them against the car. You know, they yeah. would be frustrated about every aspect of owning that car. I was, I was really this, and it's a shame because Mercedes likes to stuff all these really, I don't know if they're like useful features, but features into their infotainment system. Amazon Prime Video, right? Like, that's... <laughs> um, like for example, it has a dash cam app that you can, you can install or use. Um, so the car has its own integrated dash cam. That's useful. Um, it has that augmented reality info t- uh, navigation system. Totally not using- useful. I like it. I think it's it's kind of neat. Okay, well, augmented nav- reality is just putting arrows on the head-up display, right? This one's on the on the infotainment screen, which is a little less it, um, useful, a little not, more distracting. That's not augmented reality because I don't want to drive looking out my looking at my infotainment screen. No, exactly. But but augmented reality to me is like I look at that building and it tells me the address, it tells me the the companies that are there, it tells me like all that kind of and, stuff, right? We don't have that technology. We just have like oh, we're gonna put an overlay on a video and it's call it than nothing. I like is it, it though. I don't think yes. though. I mean. <laughs> Do it right or don't do it at all. Mercedes, the yeah. best or nothing. Um, no, but seriously, if you are Mercedes, that should be your motto. That's true. Um, the other aspect, I remember you complaining about this a lot. There have It has this traffic cam light. No, traffic light cam. Do you remember this? No, I when don't you know, come maybe. up to a stoplight, it just shows you on the infotainment screen <laughs> the intersection in front of you. So you can see the, oh, the yeah. traffic light. It zooms in on it, right? And it's so weird. I'm it like, is weird. What? So, and I, I, I just love that. It makes me think of you all the time because you're like, I don't know what the heck is happening. <laughs> um, and then it has all these other weird features. Like, for example, it asked me what my what my height was, and then it was like, I'll automatically adjust the seat for you. What? And no. let me tell you, it that didn't work. That, that <laughs> not it's almost like thing. height is only one aspect of how a human body is composed, right? Like, it's <laughs> so weird to me. And then I don't even think it it changed the head up display to accommodate this new seating position. So I was, <laughs> I just remember dealing with this like, why do you need to know my height? And then it, 
this is what it did. Um, and then one more weird thing. You know, we, we used to um, – I used to actually find MBUX to be fairly useful, intuitive. I thought it had natural voice recognition that worked really well for me. Um, and this time around definitely had the opposite experience, so much so that um, it started recommending – um, destinations in other countries, which didn't work. That was <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So I would say, you know, MBUX, find me, you know, the, the, the name of the grocery store. No, maybe it was a grocery store or Walmart or something like that. And then it would want to take me to go to like Ohio. You, you are 1600 miles from Walmart. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is annoying. Um, and then I had to do it myself, which was really unfortunate. I, I just don't understand how that came to be or why that's not. Intuitive. That's the magic of the of the infotainment system of the technology is then is lost. It's broken. If you don't trust the technology, that's it, right? Like, yeah. and so me, as much as I really liked the drive, um, and, and the steering was excellent, the ride quality was really good, um, and, and I think it's a pretty good product. And then suddenly it just falls like as if it has no basis. This infotainment system just fails miserably. Um, and really loses the marks. The re- really loses significant marks here because I'm okay with driving a slow car or an unresponsive car um, because you you live with that, right? But in un, um, an unpredictable infotainment system, that sucks. Like that's that's a headache every single time. Now, given all that you just said, would you recommend this vehicle over some of the competitors? <sighs> That's tough. I think the GV70 is an excellent choice in this class, and I do think that the BMW X3 is is also very strong. I would take those two over this. Okay. And then I I've mentioned that if you need to get a plug-in hybrid um, or just a regular hybrid, the Lexus model will will kick butt at that. Like it's gonna be it's gonna provide really good fuel efficiency um, and, and offer you that uh, performance as well. So I think you're you're looking at a car that's in that three that third place kind of finish okay third or fourth place always kind of a great finish. place to be no You're on the podium not. but to me like i said attention to detail with the design and luxury feel with the the drivetrain and the ride quality is where this car has made a huge significant upgrade and uh, if that's that's one step right like they need to now put everything else together and it bothers me that they haven't because mbux was pretty pretty good and that's it Right, like, why did they why did they mess with it, and how did it get worse? Well, if you so. don't mess with it, you can't justify your job, and if you can't justify your job, you get fired. And I think that sometimes <laughs> these incremental changes we see in vehicles, and not just vehicles, but like all over the world, especially mm-hmm. in the software world, they, it kind of comes to that. I, but I have a vehicle, Sammy. I wanted to talk to about to you about that is also like a substantial improvement. It's super a, high tech. Yes and no. Ooh. So uh, I spent a week, actually more than a week. Behind the wheel of the 2023 Ford F-250. F-250. Uh, yeah. I love those. Man, big old trucks. I love it when you get a big old truck on the podcast. So the the Super Duty platform is completely new for 2023, according to Ford. Uh, and Let's talk about that. It's a truck, right? Like yes. The platform, you know, they've made a platform like this before. Yeah, but I mean, their constant arms race in the Super Duty world, the heavy duty truck world, is like, you know, I have to have more payload, I have to have more towing. I have is it to not have... a ladder frame anymore? I'm assuming it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, well, yeah, it's more or less the same. But uh, 
I don't want to get too deep into all the changes that have happened on the truck. A lot of what's been given to the F-250 is stuff that you would have been able to get on the F-150 previously, like uh, especially um, active safety features and some infotainment stuff, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, like the high tech stuff that kind of goes to the consumer first and then commercial trucks get it later. Mm-hmm. But the vehicle that I drove didn't have any of that stuff. And that's because oh. I drove an XL trim, which is like the entry, Very rare. The very entry rare level the... F-250. And I it, love it. You don't see this in, in press fleets very often. That's right. Um, my vehicle did have some options, but there was like nothing about these options that was special. Like nothing that made it stand out. Like it wasn't a tremor and it didn't have like some extreme off-road stuff. It didn't have like a crazy interior. It was a really basic work truck. And so that's great to Mm -hmm. experience that kind of thing. I, I like having that stuff. The thing is though. Um, Super Duty trucks. Hold on. I had, I want to talk about that too, because I had, I mentioned I had a base Tundra a while ago. Yes. Toyota Tundra. And I said, if you're not hauling stuff in these trucks, they're awful to live with. Oh, right. So any Super Duty truck is not a truck you want to live with unless you absolutely need what it brings to the table. Yeah. These these trucks, whereas half-ton trucks like the F-150 and the GMC Sierra and whatnot, they're a compromise in the sense that they're very versatile. They can tow, they can haul haul stuff, they can go off-road, but they can also be commuters. Like you're Mm -hmm. not going to be... They're not obviously they're not as good as a car in terms of comfort and parking and fuel mileage and all that stuff. But like they're not sacrificing comfort in order to be able to tow X amount in order to be able to go off road unless you get like, you know, a Raptor or something like that. Right. Uh, a Super Duty truck is not like that. A Super Duty truck is very much compromising day-to-day driving because it's not intended to be used for that. It's it's intended to give you an extremely stout work platform, whether you have to put a ton of stuff in the bed, literally, or whether you have to tow up to 14,000 pounds, which was like the tow limit on the truck I was driving. And I think the F-150 is like up to 10 or 11,000 or something. But the, the difference between these trucks, um, light duty and heavy duty, is that in the heavy duty truck, you're not really going to be worried when you're near the limit. In a light duty truck, towing near the limit, hauling near the limit, you're going to notice. And so um, what I did with the truck okay. yeah. was I towed my race car to Watkins Glen, which is a track in upstate New York. And my dad, who has a 2019 F-150 with a 5 liter V8, um, mm-hmm. he towed with me as well. He towed his race car. His right. load was about 6,500 pounds, which is probably 2,000 more pounds than the load I had. Okay. Uh, but the difference between... So his truck was working harder than yours. His truck was working way harder way than hard. mine. So the, the base engine, one of the new things for 2023 is the Mini Zilla engine. And that is a de-stroked version of the 7.3 liter Godzilla motor that came out, I think, in 2020 or 2021. Which was a 7.3 liter or something? Yeah, it's 7.3 liters. It's the biggest um, displacement V8 that Ford makes. That, that, that's and so what powered. is Mini Zilla? Mini Zilla is 6.8 liters. So it's the same motor. It's just oh, de- wow. It's just de-stroked. <laughs> Huge. It makes 405 horsepower. Nice. Wow. And 445 pound-feet of torque. So those numbers are not crazy. Like if you look at the, the 5.0 that's in the 2023 F-150 now, it's within mm. like five horsepower of that. Um, okay. And it's within 35 pound-feet of torque. But the big difference is the 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 design of the motors is completely different, first of all. 
the the Mini Zilla is a pushrod motor, mm-hmm. and the Ford is an overhead cam engine. The four, the, sorry, the four, the five point yeah. The five generates its maximum power at six thousand RPM, but mm-hmm. the six point eight does it at five thousand. And okay. torque, torque's a little closer. It's like forty two fifty for the F the, for the five and then four thousand for the uh, six point eight, but. I can tell you that towing with, with alongside my father, when I would get to a longer hill, um, my truck just kept going. <laughs> and his truck like <laughs> would kick down and like big revs and start falling back uh, on some of the longer hills that we had to go through. The The other thing that is an improvement for 2010, or sorry, for 2023, is the 10-speed automatic transmission, which is now standard for all the gas motors. Uh, previously last year you could get the entry level gas V8 for a super duty was the 6.2, which is like, they call it the boss motor and like power was, I think 385 horsepower and torque was somewhat similar, but again, it had a six speed automatic transmission, which is pretty old at this point. And it didn't have, it it did, it had to do the same kind of high rev stuff because it was a, an overhead cam engine as well. Okay. Uh, just the way it was designed is not for like a, a really flat low end torque curve. So okay. this this mini mini Zilla engine is a pretty big deal, I think, for Ford. I it's I, I say that with a bit of an asterisk because GM has had like a six point two liter that makes more horsepower and torque than this for a really long time, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a pushrod motor, and they they haven't really freaked out about it. They haven't been like, oh wow, look at our our motor. Like even the seven point three from Ford. Makes 430 horsepower, which I think is less than some versions of that 6.2 from GM, which is a full liter less displacement. So, I mean, good on Ford for improving the gas options for the Super Duty trucks. I don't think it's like a world beating engine, but I was really impressed with it. For my towing purposes, I almost never saw it go above 2000 RPM. Okay. Which is pretty great. Uh, it was like yeah. sitting around 1800 all the time. It stayed in 10th speed almost all the time. Like sometimes it would drop to 9th. Sometimes it would drop to 8. But it was almost always in 10. Uh, the tow haul mode was really good on the secondary roads when I would get to like an incline and a decline. It was mm. smart about knowing when I was going downhill. It would drop down to second gear sometimes to try to keep uh, like engine braking active and help me out with with my load. Uh, okay. I, That's pretty I, sweet. I never noticed the trailer. Like, it might as well have not been there. And that's very different from towing with some of the lighter duty stuff I've towed with. Like, I've towed with Ram 1500s. I've towed with, uh, last year I had a, a Grand Wagoneer from from uh, Jeep, the new mm-hmm. one. And these are very large vehicles with a lot of power, but you still feel the trailer tugging back on you sometimes. You still feel it in corners. With the Super Duty suspension and chassis and the way uh, it's just much much more robust um absolutely none of that like interesting it, it, it was like it had disappeared if i didn't look at my mirrors i really didn't know it was there wow um talk to me a little bit about uh, about the fuel economy here so i got 12 miles per gallon the Ooh, entire trip okay <laughs> Which is pretty much what I got with the more powerful uh, Grand Wagoneer. And I, the the difference is though, the Grand Wagoneer was working a lot of the time. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned before, the the Mini Zilla didn't really feel like that. And I think the 10 speed really helped with the fuel economy. The other thing I want to mention though, is the, the, I don't know the exact weight of the F-250, but it's considerably more, I think, than the Grand Wagoneer. So right. not only was it towing, it's also a heavier vehicle, and it was getting similar fuel mileage. So I was pretty impressed by that. Okay, so 
to me, that's my biggest fear with these vehicles. But I get it when you're trying to use them as intended. It's going to be it's going to take its toll on on the fuel. Yeah, consumption. but I think I think empty. It's only going to get like fifteen or sixteen or something. Like it's not a huge difference. Okay. Um, now then, when it talks, when we come to F two fifties and especially work truck versions of it, did it feel like a really Spartan truck? Yes. It yes. was really, really stripped down. So this is a sixty-two thousand dollars truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a super. It was a. It was super crew, which is the largest crew cab version. Had a six point mm-hmm. seven five foot box. Again, just make it seven, guys. Just make it seven. Uh, <laughs> and it uh, had um, the, the the extra features that it came with on top of like the XL, which comes with like absolutely nothing. Um, it had something called an STX appearance package, which is weird because it's not just appearance. Like it added some safety gear as well, like blind spot monitoring. Um, and uh, what was the other thing that it came with? Let me just try it. I Tell have me. The, well, I'm looking for the list that I thought I had here. Um, yeah, here we go. So the STX appearance package, you get like body colored bumpers, LED lights, and like actual alloy rims. You get automatic headlights, blind spot monitoring, emergency braking front and rear. But it also comes with like a front bench seat (laughs) as part of that package. And like the center section folds down, like it's a seat, but you can fold it down. And then there's like a big, like hard plastic tray. And it's really funny because the tray is huge and there's a button you can push and you can tilt it slightly towards you. And I mean like four degrees closer to you okay i guess it's so you can write on it a little easier but okay. the, uh, the thing is if you try to drive with the the uh the tray tilted towards you you get yeah. a warning on the screen saying secure As tray it, before driving and, like, it should i'm talking like three degrees of movement here <laughs> it's it's so weird um my truck also had pro power on board which is like the little generator in the back which is mm. pretty cool uh, had an FX4. Did you use that? Did you use that feature? No, I didn't need to. No. Um, okay. Has the FX? I've used it in the past, but but I didn't need it this time. Has the FX4 off-road package, which gives it a limited slip rear differential, which is mm-hmm. nice if you're towing and it's slippery. Like let's say I was talking about boat ramps earlier. That's somewhere you would probably appreciate that feature. And it had a spray and bed liner, but like that's pretty much it. Like there's nothing about the truck that's luxurious. Like cloth, everything, hard plastics. The screen for the infotainment was tiny. And when you shifted it to reverse, this is what there, there were two annoying things about the screen. Okay. So $62,000 is not a cheap amount of money to pay for a truck. No. I would like a larger screen with that, especially since practical features associated with the truck rely on that screen. Shifting into reverse, it splits the screen in half. So you end up with like <laughs> the left side of the screen is your rear view camera and the right side of the screen was the top down camera. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to line up the trailer hitch using like the the tiniest grainiest image you can imagine and compared to like the screens on any other vehicle that I've used <laughs> to tow with it was irritating. Um the other thing that's weird about the screen is so I was using Android Auto and I was mm-hmm. using navigation like Waze uh, as my nav app and I would get to an intersection and I would turn on the turn signal and it would take over the screen and show me the area immediately to the left of the truck. Like it was like yeah. a camera. Yeah, yeah. That takes over the whole screen. I can't see my my directions anymore. So I can't prepare for the next turn. And I can't like double check to make sure I'm turning the right way. I have to mm-hmm. touch the little X on the screen to get rid of that image. And what's funny is that image is full size. <laughs> like, <laughs> So the image I want to be full size isn't. And the one yeah. that I don't want at all takes up all the space. That's a waste. That's yeah. such a pain. It should be the other. Obviously, it needs to be the other way around. And um then, I also was disappointed by the fact that 
for the fact that it came with like the STX comes with the bra- emergency braking front and rear, I didn't get adaptive cruise control. And Interesting. that's a bit annoying in traffic when you're towing. It's not a huge deal. I didn't 100% miss it. Um, but I was lucky in that we avoided a lot of bumper to bumper. The other thing that I think is less forgivable, though, the blind spot monitoring system on the F on the Super Duty, it's supposed to work when you have a trailer. Now, I had an Escalade earlier this year that I towed with. And that trailer, when it was connected, it, the system, the, all of the automatic safety systems and the um the the super cruise feature they knew the trailer was there they knew how long the trailer was and it extended all of those systems along the full length of the vehicle because it was able to use the sensors to tell how long things were right okay which makes sense that's what they're for yeah Uh, for the ford in order to make that work you have to create a trailer profile you have to know the width of the trailer the length of the trailer and it only works for conventional trailers so if i had like a gooseneck hitch it wouldn't work it only works for like under bumper hitches or bumper hitches. Okay. And I, I'm not going to, I don't have a measuring tape with me. I didn't know this when I picked up the truck. So when I picked up my trailer, I just had to deal with the, the system disabling itself. So I had no blind spot monitoring. I had no anything like that because of that. And I feel like that's kind of a fail. You need to be able to do that automatically. I think. That's fair. Um, when you, when you've tested this, you've tested other trucks, obviously, how do you feel this this kind of ranks in terms of, especially for what you're using it, towing trucks and uh, towing other vehicles, using a, a hefty amount of the weight that um, a pickup truck kind of offers? I mean, you could have gotten a, a standard duty model or whatever I'm going to call it, um, and gone and been okay. But having that extra, did the did the extra capability give you more confidence? Oh yeah, for sure. As I mentioned, yeah. I didn't I didn't notice I was towing, and the engine was incredibly capable. Um, what about the braking? It was fine. The was only fine. vehicle that's come close to this level of tow competency was the Escalade, which yeah. is very large and heavy. I mean, the Grand Wagoneer was too, but I had like a weird front end shake in that truck that was made me a little uncomfortable. And I didn't like going above a certain speed. The the the, the Super Duty I had had like a fourteen thousand pound tow rating. You know, I'm using yeah. I'm using four thousand like pounds of that, forty five hundred pounds. It, it it's it's irrelevant. It, it doesn't matter. Um, I will say the truck is large, bulky, and unwieldy in all circumstances. I had to, the hotel I was staying at in Watkins Glen was like an old school hotel built into a hill over the lake. Cool. And yeah, it was cool until I had to either drive past the, like it had like kind of an awning where you're supposed to park under to go in and get your keys. I couldn't do it. Like it didn't fit. And then I had to drive around these corners that were very, very narrow and old. Like you were driving a pickup truck? Like you had to go across... I mean, not a pickup truck, like an 18-wheeler. You had to go super wide? Yeah, I actually had to leave the parking lot and come in a different entrance. Oh my God. And then I had to go around like this very tight corner that had this, like I guess it was kind of drainage that was built into it with, with cement and concrete. Mm-hmm. And like the trailer just barely fit and the truck just barely fit. And it was, I had to park on like a disused tennis court. <laughs> like <laughs> It sounds like you're trying to thread the needle everywhere. With yeah, this it was. It's the only place that they could I could put the trucks that wouldn't block everyone else's parking. So when you have That's these so vehicles... They're super large, and adding a trailer just makes them even bigger. So Okay. And now, finally, I really want you to talk to me about what it's like to get to, to Watkins Glen. Um, and if you had fun there, is it one of America's you know top tracks, right? I think so. I th- it's, it's, a, it's a really special track, I think. I've driven, I would say, all of the tracks I want to drive in the United States except for Mid-Ohio, uh, Road Atlanta, and Daytona. Those are the three 
that I haven't been to. But I think I've hit the highlights of pretty much all the other major ones. And Watkins mm-hmm. Glen is right up at the top for me. Just because it's an amazing combination of speed and technical requirements. Like, in my Datsun, my Datsun is not a high-speed vehicle. Like, with the gearing that I have and the aero that I don't have, um, it tops out around, like, 105 miles an hour, right? And yeah, there's at Watkins Glen, there's an uphill S section that leads to a straight that's very, very quick. And I get to 7,000 RPM. Um, in the Datsun, and it just stops there. <laughs> it doesn't have enough power to push through the air anymore. Okay. And I'm stuck there for like four or five seconds. <laughs> and it's the only track that's like that for me that I go to. Um, but the, the 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 next section is what they call the bus stop, which is like kind of this bulge that's almost like a chicane that you're supposed to slow you down at the end of that crazy straight. And I can, you know, barely break and hit that thing at crazy speeds. And that's where I can take advantage of the lightness of my car. So, mm. like, where I lack in horsepower, I can make up for in terms of uh, lightness and handling. And not all tracks are like that. Sometimes they're they're one or the other. Like, if you go to um, Road, Road America in um, Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, that's, like, pretty much six drag strips connected by 90-degree corners. <laughs> <laughs> So if you don't have a ton of power, you're not necessarily going to have a lot of fun there. Yeah. And then you go to very tight tracks, uh, like uh, the, the track you go to, New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Um, it's pretty tight most of the time until you get to the front straight. So a lot of the areas, having a ton of horsepower isn't a big boost. So I find Watkins Glen is a nice mix of those things. And it's just, it's fun and challenging. And there's always something new to learn about it. Uh, I, I managed to turn in a new personal best at the end of the day, which I was happy with. Um, especially since last year when I went, it was really rainy. And especially since this year, the tires I was on are the same tires I was on last year and they were brand new last year when I went to Watkins. So they've had, they've had like five or six days on them and I was still able to beat my time. But what was even cooler was my dad in his Mustang, he was able to do like serious damage to his, his best times. And by the end of the day, he was within three seconds of me on the track and um there were some sessions where i went out and i had to work really hard to catch him because three seconds sounds like a lot but like you gotta really like i had to work for it i had to be consistent and to eventually catch up to him with that three second advantage and get by him and and he was learning how to be more aggressive um and in taking advantage of the horsepower that his car has versus mine and versus everybody's you know uh and letting that kind of make up for some areas where it might necessarily might not necessarily handle as well so it was a lot of fun i really really enjoyed it i recommend anyone who's in that area or just in new england or maybe southern ontario and Mm -hmm. even quebec it's about five hours from here five and a half hours it's worth the drive it's a really really great facility there's a lot of history there i mean the track used to run through the town it used to be part of the street the streets and roads in that area before they built this facility um, and you're, you're not going to regret it. You're really going to enjoy yourselves. Uh, That's dope. I love that. Um, I love hearing you just having fun out there. I think that was one of the main things that um, you're, I, I got over the messages that you were sending me while you were on your track day. Um, and I'm glad that you had a good time with your, your car too, which I think has um, – has really picked up speed, man. Well, it's always fun when nothing breaks. Yeah, exactly. I think that's <laughs> more or less what I was trying to get at without without jinxing it. Like last year, I I, I had my cracked head and yeah. um, I didn't get that fixed until I went to Watkins Glen. Uh, yeah. So I had like two months where I was just down and out uh, and, and not, not driving the car at all. And what's funny is actually this time I hadn't driven 
my Datsun really since my last track event at the end of June because there's just so much been going on this summer and um, we, I wasn't available for events in July. And then mm-hmm. in August, I decided that, you know, we bought this new house and things are just kind of crazy and we needed to get ready for that. So this is kind of like a nice way to get back into the swing of things. And I wasn't sure how the car would behave given that it hadn't been driven in so long, but it actually it made absolutely no difference. Like the car is just a blast all the time. Um, people are into it. It makes people happy. Uh, they like to see it. It's, it's weird to see an old car at a track day. And, uh, I, I like filling that role (laughs) and I just like how much fun it is. Um, every time I drive it on a racetrack, it reminds me why I do it. And in that moment, like that first lap that I'm out there and I'm just running it up to red line, up to red line, up to red line through all the gears. Like it's extremely obvious why I chose this vehicle even yeah. though it's not the fastest one there and it never will be, you know, it's, 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 it's obvious as to why I'm there. And uh, that's awesome. That's, it's, it's, it's affirming, you know, I love it. That's great. Anything else you want to talk about this week? I wanted to say thank you to the people who wrote in to congratulate Sammy on the new addition to his family. <laughs> it's very kind of you. He appreciates yes, I appreciate it, that. And the little baby appreciates it as well. Those messages were read to them and uh, <laughs> they, they chuckled and, and cackled and did all that baby stuff. So thank you for that. It's, it's, it's very kind of you. It means a lot. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Um, what are we talking about next week, assuming we can record next week? Well, next week, I'm going to be talking about the GV70 Electrified. Uh, and I'm really curious because I mentioned earlier that I'm driving it right now. I liked the G80 Electrified. And I wanted to see if that formula could be improved when they put it in an SUV because there were a couple of areas that I think an SUV would make better. And just to clarify, this is the gas version of a car that's being converted to electric that doesn't always work well. So that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about next week. I've also got an electric vehicle, but it's a redesigned Volvo XC40 Recharge. This is the 2024 model, um, which which, which is supposed to have gotten better. I can't wait to tell you if it did. All right. And if you want to find out (laughs) either of these things, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, or maybe you're hearing it through an open car window, or maybe you're at the dentist's office and your dentist has the podcast on. Shout out out to our dentist listeners. Um, You can find us at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a ton of buttons there where you can click them and it will automatically subscribe you to your favorite podcatcher or just type us into whatever service you're using to listen to podcasts because we're on all of them like Amazon, Google, Apple, all that good stuff. Just type Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Subscribe to us, like us, leave a comment, leave a rating. It all helps uh, broaden the audience and get more people listening. We always appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Ben, for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, and thank you to our listeners for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Sammy, if a listener wanted to send you uh, more praise for Procreate, oh, really? how would they do that? They would go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Uh, they would fill out the contact form. That lands in our inbox. It's super easy. Or or they can email us the old-fashioned way, benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. Or there's one more a uh, very suspect way of getting in touch with us. You reach out to us on social media. I'm on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. Uh, my my account or my profile is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Or you can reach out to Ben. He's on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. All right, Sammy. Uh, again, thank you everyone for listening and we will talk to you next week.